Welcome to this podcast from the Bay Church. We hope you're blessed by the message. To find out more, please visit our website at www.the-bay-church.org.uk. 2019 has it's had its challenges. It's had its victories. 2018 has had its challenges <laughs> and its victories. And 2019 will have its challenges and its victories. And here's a great New Year's resolution for you. Live close to the wine barrel. I try to live each year as close to the wine barrel as I can. Because each year will have its challenges. In this world you will have trouble. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome. We're overcomers. Live close to the wine barrel. In the challenge and in the victory. See, we're good drinkers when we're in victory. We're poor drinkers in challenge. The new wine is flowing. Live close to the wine barrel. Don't move from it. When we were worshipping, I felt the Lord remind me of some scripture and revelations where John walked through a door and God told him to write to the seven churches. Actually, he didn't. He told him to write to the seven angels of the churches. (laughs) This church has angels. The churches have angels that are on assignment for 19, 2019. Some of them have had the assignment a longer years. <laughs> and they're waiting for us. Because they're here to minister. They're here to bring a message. Our Christmas story is all about the angels. I'm not going to talk about the angels. But listen, I want to set the scene for 2019. It's this. I said to God, you know, if, if you were to write to the church of the Northeast, what would you say? I heard these two very clear things. He says, firstly, I'd thank the women for their faithfulness to the church. 80% of churches made up of women. And then I heard him say, I'd make a call for the men. I'd make a call for the men to rise and take their place (laughs) church of the northeast were blessed by faithful women who've stood faithfully and ministered in the churches faithfully and uphold the word of God faithfully but I believe there's a call to the men of the Northeast to join with the women in upholding the word of God. Maybe 2019 we'll see some of that. This is what somebody wrote to me. He says, I see a bowl of incense being, uh, sorry, a bowl of intercession being poured out. Get ready, folks. Your prayers are about to be answered. 
And they're going to be answered in the most extraordinary way. You thought God had forgotten. He has not. He has heard your pleas. And you will receive what you thought was lost through circumstance. You will receive what you thought was lost through circumstance. Take courage, for he is coming. Our lives will never be the same again. This has been said before, I hear you say. <laughs> new will be the new. Watch and see the new thing I'm about to do. That's a good word. It's a good word. Oh, my life for time. <laughs> so, God, we give you all the disappointment of 2018. We drop it right now. We thank you for the challenges that has drawn us into a faith level. We thank you for the victories, but we thank you for the victories we're going to see in 2019. We thank you that you have called your angels to watch over us on assignment for us to see this region and this nation changed. So to the angels of the churches of Great Britain, we say, wake up. We receive you. We receive the assignment you have from heaven to see this nation transformed by the one who sits on the throne forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. That this is his kingdom, that this is his domain. <laughs> Amen. Amen. How's your hermeneutics? How are they doing? Hermeneutics? You're all right? You've got cream for it? What about your eschatology? I said to my son this morning, uh, I says, I'm, I'm preaching on hermeneutics and eschatology. He says, eschatology? I, he says, I just use the stairs. I was like... That's bad. Hermeneutics. Basically, how you interpret Scripture is really important. It's probably the reason you're sitting in that chair and not in a Baptist church down the road or in an Anglican church down the road. How we interpret Scripture is massively important. And how we've been taught to interpret scripture is massively important. It shapes your very thinking. It shapes even the chair that you sit in in any particular church, I bet. And as we come onto the subject today about the end times, eschatology, most of us in this room 
will probably have different thoughts and different belief systems about the return of Jesus. But the clue is this. Remember when Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus, who do, who do men say I am? He says, you're the Christ, you're the Son of the living God. And what was Jesus' reply? That wasn't taught to you by man. That was revealed to you by the Father. And I think even a lot of our eschatology has been taught to us by men rather than received by the Father. And a lot of our eschatology, a lot of our thinking around the end times has come because of the way we have been brought up in our Christian belief system. And some of that is good, and some of that is bad. It can all help shape us, but the key is being shaped. See, I don't believe what I believed 40 years ago about eschatology. I don't believe that anymore. I've moved, I've been shaped. Does it mean that it's any less, any better, any worse? No, I've just moved, I've been shaped. I've had revelation from heaven that shapes me. And I think it's more in line with the true understanding of scripture. A lot of people try to interpret scripture well, they do it in various ways. They listen to somebody like me preaching and saying that's an interpretation of Scripture. I'll take that. And that, that could be good. It could be a good interpretation of Scripture. Or it could be a bad interpretation of Scripture. And a revelation for me might not be your revelation. <laughs> How I test my revelation... I test it through scripture. That's how you're supposed to test revelation. Examine the Bible against the Bible. <laughs> it's in there. It really is. But the problem we've got is when Jesus, when the disciples asked Jesus, and Jesus said, they said, Why do you keep speaking in parables? What do you what, what just tell us? Why do you keep speaking in parables? He replied. Because the knowledge of the secret of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you. Wow. So there's something in the digging. There's something in getting the understanding, getting the revelation that we're to pursue. And there's something about understanding the Bible, understanding the times it was written and who it was written to and why it was written, that is really important. And we've taken a lot of our theological understanding around eschatology from a biblical day, a Jewish culture, and we're trying to apply it to a Western society. And it doesn't match. But what we do is we, sit, we fit a size nine shoe into a size six shoe. We shoehorn it in. Because it has to fit how we've been taught to think and how our understanding is. But in our Western thinking, in our Western culture, it doesn't sit well. 
with a biblical understanding of the end times. <laughs> it's not what we are looking let me say this again. It's not necessarily what we're looking at, but what we're looking through. That's really important. So because in my understanding of 40 years ago theology, if I kept looking through that lens of that theology, I would still be in that same place. It's good to take a fresh look at what you believe and why you believe it. It's good to challenge the revelation you believe you've received from heaven. It's good that you take it back to Scripture and you look at it through the biblical perspective of what the Scripture is saying and we get a perspective, a wider perspective on what that's all about. Let me read this. Close your eyes if it helps. Revelations 19. It's what I'm preaching on today. Ha. I'm going to try and read it. I saw heaven opened. I could just stop there. <laughs> I saw heaven opened. And a white horse was standing there. This would freak a few out, wouldn't it? And the one sitting on the horse was named Faithful and True. The one who, ju who justly punishes and makes war. His eyes, they were like flames. And on his head were many crowns. A name was written on his forehead that only he knew the meaning of. He was clothed in garments that were dipped in blood. And his title, oh, his title, it was the Word of God. You see, the armies of heaven dressed in fine linen and white and clean they followed him on white horses. In his mouth there was a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He ruled them with an iron grip and he trod the winepress of the fury of the wrath of Almighty God. On his robe and his thigh was written the title King of Kings and Lord of Lords then I saw an angel standing in the sunshine I just love that then <laughs> I saw an angel standing in the sunshine shouting loudly to the birds come Gather together for the supper. This is the second supper that's mentioned in John 19. For the supper, sorry, in Revelation 19. For the supper of the great God. Come and eat the flesh of kings and captains 
and the great generals, of horses and of riders, of all of humanity, both great and small, slave and free. Then I saw the evil creatures gathering the governments of the earth and their armies to fight against the ones sitting on the horse and his army. And the evil creatures and with their false prophets who could do mighty miracles when the evil creatures were present. Miracles that deceived many who had accepted the evil creature's mark and who worshipped his stature. Both of them, the evil creature and the false prophet, were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And their entire army was killed with a sharp sword in the mouth of the one riding on the white horse. And all the birds of heaven were gorged on their flesh. Jesus came in grace the first time. But he's coming in glory the second time. I've got a two-minute little DVD clip that I'm going to ask Mark to play. Volume. Where's me volume? Can we stop? I think there are two main theories around end time theology. 
One is that the world will get worse and 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 then Jesus coming back. The second one is that God will release his glory more and 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 more. I've done an amazing amount of study on this, an amazing amount of reading, and to be honest with you, we could talk about theology till the cows come home this morning on this subject alone. But that's not what I want to do today. Today, somehow, I want to awaken your understanding that your end-time theology is really important. Why is it important? Because it will determine how you walk out life. Because if you think the world is getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse, (laughs) you'll get it, yeah? (laughs) But if you have an end-time theology that believes, and there's loads of theological discussion around this, that believes that God's coming in greater power, in greater glory, that the gospel still is the gospel that has the power to save and transform, (laughs) then we have a different way of walking out life. I've tried to keep my personal stuff out of this, but it's difficult because I have an understanding of what I believe. (laughs) I believe that Jesus... See, a lot of the teaching and the theology from a biblical point of view, there's a lot of people... In, in my understanding, there's a lot of people who've taken some of that biblical understanding and have applied it to the second coming when it was really about AD 70 and the destruction of Jerusalem. But they've kind of gathered the whole thing together and gone, wow, this is about it. But actually, when you begin to read about the destruction of Jerusalem, and how 40 years after the, I was going to say millennium, I've got to be careful. 40 years after the beginning of the new kingdom begun with the resurrection of Jesus, 40 years after that, God brought a judgment. God brought a judgment to Israel. Not to the believing Jewish people, but to the non-believing Jewish people. And the temple was destroyed. What was happening at that time was the fulfillment of prophecy. And if you read about some of that in the Old Testament, you'll see where it talks about fires that burn. And, and, and if you read some of the history around that as well, you'll see how horrific that three and a half years was for those people. Horrific. Even described as the Great Tribulation. I'm not going to get into that one. (laughs) Three and a half years, even described as the Great Tribulation. And a lot of what we read in Scripture, we've, we've gathered together and we've just went, this is all about the end times, the return of Jesus, and it's not all about the end times, the return of Jesus. There's a great debate about the book of Revelation as to whether it's already happened or whether it's going to happen. It's important for you to go away and work out what you believe about your end time theology. And I don't mean from the internet. (laughs) Or from 
any of the other channels for you to go away and believe. You see, when you believe that the kingdom has begun, it's a different end time theology. You see, when you believe that Jesus is already sitting on the throne of David, it is a different end time theology. And he is already sitting on the throne of David. He already has all power and all authority. He is already the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The kingdom of God is fully established. I believe that. We have a new second Adam. And the destruction of Jerusalem was an end to the old system. God was removing the old system completely. So that people couldn't function in it any longer. It was gone. We have one new humanity. Both Jew and Greek, slave and free, Gentiles were all a part of the one new humanity. No longer do you need to make sacrifices. No longer do you need a priest. The resurrection of Jesus began a new era, a new age. You are new age people. I'm afraid you are, whether you like it or not. You are new age people. And there's going to be a few more new ages to come. You see, because when it talks about the end times, it doesn't talk about the end of the world. It talks about end times. Things change. Come on. I'm trying my best here to be good. I believe, I'll give you an I believe. Do you know the verse just before we, we read today? You know what the verse was just before that? Yeah, have a look at it because I tell you, it's one of the most quoted verses. Just before this passage begun, the verse was, Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I believe, personally, that we will have a time when Jesus will return. That's my personal belief. I believe that that time will be a one-off time where Jesus will come and if you're alive you get the worst end of the deal because you'll have to be second because the Bible says the dead in Christ will rise first <laughs> the dead will rise first and then those who are alive and remaining will be caught up I believe he will come physically I believe that we will all see him at one time And I believe that he'll come in judgment. It's 
It's not a good word for the church these days, is it? We've shied off from this stuff. He'll come in judgment and he'll separate the sheep from the goats. The resurrection of the dead will be on that day. And like Jesus, I don't know if you've thought about this, but Jesus, the Son of God, is sitting in heaven in bodily form. See, he's the first fruit from among the dead. So on the day of resurrection, you will have a new body. I do believe that Jesus is coming back. And there's been tons and tons of debate about this. Tons of debate. No other subject in the Bible other than faith is spoke about more than the second coming of Jesus. Do you know that? Some of the Bible verses have not quite been interpreted correctly. But let me tell you, over 1,845 times in your Bible... One in every 30 verses in the Bible speaks or alludes to the coming of Jesus. <clears throat> 21 times Jesus mentions it himself. And over 50 times the Bible tells us to be ready. Yeah. Everything in all creation is looking forward to this event. Can I tell you that creation is also looking forward to you being mature sons and daughters. John Wesley did over 7,000 hymns. Of the 7,000, over 5,000 of them had reference to the second coming of Jesus. We just sang a song that says, Joy to the World. It's actually not written for Christmas. It's written about the second coming of Jesus. Have a listen to it. Listen to the words. It's written about the second coming of Jesus. When Jesus comes, he will end hostility forever. He will have many crowns. His eyes will be fire. His army will be robed. His robes will be dipped in blood. He's not coming as a lamb, but as a lion. And he will bring true peace on earth. Now, I'm not quite surely I believe that, because I think we might have achieved it before he comes. But that's just my personal view. In Revelation 19, we read of two suppers. First one, verse 7, we read of the marriage supper of the lamb. And then the one we just read, it's a supper for the birds to gorge on the flesh. It will be seen all over the world. How did Jesus go? He went up in the clouds. How will he return? In the same way. You see this man go. You'll see him come back. I believe he'll come physically, visibly, and from the Mount of Olives. Interesting verse from Zechariah says this, 14 verse 4. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem. On the Mount of Olives will be split in two 
from the east to the west, forming a great valley of two halves. One mountain moving to the north, while the other moved to the south. And Matthew tells us, for as lightning comes from the east and is visible even in the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Hmm. There are over, from what they've estimated, I, I don't know this fact, I've just read it, there are over 700 um, names that refer to Jesus in the Bible alone. But it's interesting he's coming with a name that nobody knows. Because I don't think nobody knows this Jesus. We know him, but nobody knows this Jesus who's coming in judgment. <laughs> There's an aspect to his second coming that I believe nobody really understands or knows what that will look like. And his name, because a name gives identity. And nobody knows his name. There's a tranquility coming to the earth and to the people. Jesus Christ is coming back. And listen, he's coming back for a spotless bride. Not for a beaten up one. Not for a wimpy one. He's coming back for an army. For a bride. Spotless and pure and you're it pre-millennium post-millennium a-millennium I don't know if you're a pan-millennium that's like it'll all pan out at the end <laughs> didn't really matter maybe I'm a bit of a pan-millennium Christian theologians and fathers for years and years and years have held different views, theological views, on the, on, the, on the millennium, on that thousand year reign. If you want to push me on my view, I'll give it to you then. I think we're in it. Amen. Amen. I agree. Come on. I've got one woman who knows the Bible. Yes. Come on. A woman. <laughs> Come on, the Son of God. I, I believe that thousand year reign began with the resurrection of Jesus. You don't have to agree with me, but that's what I believe. I believe it began at that time. He took his place on his throne at that time. Come on, and Satan is bound. Come on. Come up here and read this. <laughs> Come on. Tag preaching, I'm loving it. <laughs> so I believe we are in that millennium. I don't believe a, a, a thousand years is literally a thousand years. Otherwise I couldn't believe that because we're 2,000 years old. But the Bible also says a day is of a thousand years. And I'm not even going to try and tell you when I think Jesus is coming back because it could be tomorrow. Ooh. Well, a lot of theologians have argued that it's, he's not coming back just yet. We know he's not because of this, because of that, because of this. But you know, what the, you know what the Bible says? It says, the day or the hour knoweth no man. So you can theologically work it out as much as you like. 
and so can I. And I can put a good argument that Jesus might not be coming back until 10,000 years' time. But I don't know. And the key is not working out when he's coming back. The key is living in readiness. That's the key. Not out of fear. I don't know, did you watch the old, you know, yeah, I've been a Christian a long time, you know. Thief in the night and, and, and all this kind of stuff, you know. And it, you know what, it got a lot of people saved. Because they were worried Jesus was coming back the next day. Or even that night, you know, if Jesus comes back today, where will you spend eternity? And it's a good question. But you're introduced to salvation through fear. Rather than love. So you worship a God of fear rather than a God of love. Does it mean it's not true? No, it means it is true. But I, I want to introduce you to a God who loves you. I don't want to frighten you because then you relate to a God who, who wants to beat you over the head with a stick. Premillennium is a view. Premillennium is, is one of the views. See, at some point in the future, Jesus Christ will return in bodily form to set up the kingdom on the earth and then reign for a thousand years. Post-millennium, um, this is a view where Jesus is returning, is ruling and reigning over his kingdom right now. So this is probably where you guessed where I'm at. Um, from the resurrection, uh, and that the gospel is, when it's preached, is effectively preached to change nations. Listen, we've got to get away from changing your neighbor to changing nations. It starts with your neighbor, but we're, we, if we're just focused on our neighbor, we miss what the gospel is supposed to do. It changes nations. And nations will bow the knee. We need to have a bigger understanding of that. And that's, this is what your end time theology will give you. I want to see this nation changed. The whole nation. So I'm believing for a region, but I'm believing the region will see a nation. You have to have it. It has to be in there. It has to be in there. I have to believe God can do that. I have to believe He can do it this year. I believe He do it next year. There's not a lot of time left this year. Well, to break through into the nations, um, peace will come to the world. Um, that view also holds Jesus at the right hand of God. A millennium, it's a bit of a mixture of both of those things, to be honest with you. I don't want to go into it too much, but it doesn't, it doesn't, agree, it doesn't agree that there'll be a golden age. So if you're a millennium, so post-millennium does believe that there will be a time of what, what the what some would describe as a golden age. And that might be a time of God's greater glory where more people will come into salvation. I don't really know. But a millennium doesn't believe that there'll be a golden age. Um, can I just say one thing? It's not a negative on any denomination, but I, I, I was brought up under this um, for the first 10 years of my um, Christian life. And it's a viewpoint called uh, dispensationalism. And... It was introduced by a man called John Darby. It, uh, he was a Plymouth brethren. Um, he was a theologian, and he started this in the UK. Um, fortunately, the UK didn't really take to it very well, but the Americans loved it. Um, and by, 
by then he'd linked up with a guy called Schofield. Some of us, like me, I had a Schofield Bible with all its um, commentary. And it held this view of dispensationalism, um, which for me doesn't kind of fit in with how I understand Scripture to be. But that's where I was brought up, in that theology, in that teaching. And I've had to break away from some of that. Um, You know, he he was the first guy to do a Bible with study notes into it. And it affected hundreds of thousands of people. Because they went to the Bible, and then they went to the study note, and they believed the study note as much as they believed the Bible. And the study note was an interpretation of somebody's understanding of that. Not saying it was wrong, I'm just saying it was an interpretation. But I think when, when that started, it brought in something that I think um, it was divisive from, from my understanding. It wasn't, it wasn't a good thing. Yet I lived under it and had to break away from it, which is why I can talk about it. Um, they, they believed that there was seven levels um, and they believe that we're now living in the sixth level of dispensation. Um, and the seventh level will come with the return of Jesus. They also believed some really weird stuff um, that I don't want to get into. Um, one of them things like that Israel will be the bride of God and we are the bride of Jesus. It's, it, there's some weird stuff in there. There really is. And I don't want to, I'm not knocking anybody. It, in that day and that time, that was their revelation and they ran with it. But I am... I am trying to stress the importance of each of us finding what God is saying to us and then going back to Scripture and finding that in Scripture for yourself because it's only that place that you truly believe what the end times hold. Otherwise, you believe Schofield or Darby or somebody else. Um, You have to believe it for yourself. Founded in the Word. Bad eschatology produces bad fruit. (sighs) okay for since the death came through one man the resurrection of the dead comes through another man for as Adam all die so in Christ will all be made alive (laughs) but each in turn Christ the first fruits then we, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom of God, the kingdom to God, the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, all power, and all authority. For he must reign until, until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Do I believe that we're all going to get there? I hope so. I really, really hope so. I believe and, and pray for such an outpouring of God's presence that nobody can refuse him. That's what I believe. That's what I believe. But I can no more make you choose Jesus... It is a choice. 
but I believe there's a greater glory coming where that choice will limit you right down to a place of like, how can I not believe that? How can I not believe that? And when Jesus is coming in judgment, he's coming against those who have deliberately chosen not to believe, having seen the greater glory of God being displayed. I'm not talking about those who, who, who are maybe just in ignorance. I'm talking about those who've decided that's that way and I'm going that way. There's a conscious decision and the rulers of this kingdom and the rulers of the kingdoms will bow the knee and will be subject to Jesus. Now they can do it in that place of greater glory, in that golden age period. Now or in that age, they can do that. Or they can choose to reject who he is and his kingdom. But there will come a time where God in righteousness will come and put this place to rights. There will be no more injustice. You will not live in in a place that operates from unjust activity. Can you imagine what that will be like? Can you imagine what that will be like? There's much, much more I'd love to say, but I'm going to finish. The important thing to remember about your end time theology is this. Get your own end time theology. Study it, read it, look at it. Ask God for revelation from it. My end time theology is this. Until that time comes where the glory is so weighty and so heavy across nations, I'm going to live close to the wine barrel. That's a very simplistic theological understanding of end time theology. I believe Jesus is in complete control. I believe that even though we don't see the fulfillment of all of that here on earth, i.e. there are still sick people, there is still injustice in the world. We don't see the fulfillment of all of that. I believe God has a plan and his plan is you to, br- to bring the fulfillment. I, I also believe that God has a plan that we become as one. And when we become truly as one, it will usher in the very presence of Jesus himself. Because when we get united, when the presence comes, and we get united just like they did in the upper room when the presence came, Holy Spirit came, and they became as one when they got united. Whole regions and nations got changed by the power of the gospel. It's not going to happen any other way, but the power of the gospel, it still is God's plan to bring salvation to this world and to these nations. It is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the year. (laughs) See, when Jesus came, the year of Jubilee started and it hasn't stopped. We're we're in a constant living of the year of Jubilee. Well, God says, I'll wipe it all out. And we're living in that now. We're living in the year of Jubilee. Now the year of Jubilee was 25 years. Yeah, I understand all the old stuff around the year of Jubilee and the importance of it. I understand all of that. But when Jesus came, 
He offered us a year of jubilee forever until he returns. Until he returns. So right now is the day of salvation. Right now is a day where you get your debt wiped out. Right now today, today is the day of salvation for you. And I'm not going to frighten the life out of you by telling you Jesus is coming back tomorrow. But I am going to tell you this much. One day Jesus will return. He will return. And at that point, at that moment in time, he will bring an end to hostility. Forever. And forever and forever. As we move into 2019, oh, I hope and pray that you with me live close to the wine barrel. But understand this, there's a greater glory coming to his church that we've never seen. Amen.